This podcast is brought to you by Gridiron Heroics Media. Check the mic and make sure it sounds right, boys. Welcome, one and all, to the Gridiron Heroics Football Show. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean, and today is our Rookie Rundown and 2023 Prospects episode. So, if you're listening on the podcast, we're going to go straight from news with Julius Lux into our Rookie segment and then beyond, but you can also find this new segment individually on YouTube, and we are doing a live stream tomorrow at 12.45 p.m. Eastern, and that's going to include both our Rookie segment with Nick Miriam and our prospect segment immediately thereafter with Nick and Owen McCuller. So if you want to find us, that is how. But before anything else, I am here with Julius Lux for some news tidbits. How are you doing today, Julius? All is well. Can't complain. Just got to hope my Yankees pull it off in baseball. But other than that, football-wise, we're looking good. How about yourself? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. I'm having a good day. So I'm sorry to hear about your Yankees, but fortunately with (laughs) baseball, it is not a loser-go-home situation, at least Mm -hmm. not yet. So you got plenty of opportunities. Yeah, it's not like the football playoffs where it's you have one bad game in the playoffs, and that is basically your season. And it's that's what makes the football playoffs more like anxious for myself Mm -hmm. and other sports because it's a one-and-done thing. That's why I like it more. I, I also like the season more because it's the games have more stakes, right? You can lose like five games in a row in baseball and then be fine. If you lose five games in a row in football, you're pretty yeah. much done. There's some teams where in some divisions, if you if you go 0-2 to start the season, that, that could be it. That could be it. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to jump into some news today. Um, that's enough baseball talk. I'll put a cap on it today. <laughs> But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it if your Yankees, uh, if, if they do uh, move on to the World Series. Fingers series. crossed. Fingers Probably crossed. But down. let's right. get into the football news for you. Let's All right, so do it. Let's do it. Pro Football Hall of Famer Charlie Trippy passed away at the age of 100. He is the only member in the Hall of Fame to have 1,000 rushing yards, 1,000 receiving yards, and 1,000 passing yards in his career. He led the Cardinals to their most recent championship title, which was back in 1947. So 100 years old, rest in peace. Seemed like he lived a great life. Yeah, that's good innings, as they say in Australia. 100 years, man. That is, uh, that's, that's quite a wow. long time. And that's quite an accomplishment. They, they just don't make them like that anymore. Like, you know, if you're a passer, it's rare that you're a runner and you're certainly not going to be hitting a thousand yards receiving ever. You know, that's that those are the days of yesteryear. But that's pretty cool. And uh, it's also a very long time ago for the Cardinals to have won a championship. Although I'm not really one to talk because the Jets have only been, you know, about 20 years more recent than that. So. <laughs> Yeah, one of the most versatile players in NFL history. I know the game is definitely different than it was than it is today. So living up to a hundred as a football player, even though it wasn't the same physicality as back then, it's still very impressive. I wonder how many 
hundred year old Hall of Famers there have been. I mean, I didn't get to look that up, but I'm sure it's not a, a good amount. But yeah. he lived well, a, great, in a great the, life. Back in the day, offensive linemen or defensive linemen were like 210, 220 pounds at the most. So like, <laughs> yeah, it was just a different style of football. You know, probably Unreal. had plenty of head injuries with the with the lesser helmets. But in terms of like the the brutality on the body, it was probably closer to rugby. Rugby, really, you know, in that sense. So, I don't know. Either Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Moving on. Dak Prescott is officially medically cleared to play this week versus the Detroit Lions. He's been ruled out with a fractured thumb that required surgery, which he suffered in in week one in their loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But he will be back against the Detroit Lions. Just in time to probably drop some points on the Lions because you know we kind of know what their defense is at this point. I I would love to see that team round out and actually win some games and 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 give something to the, to the Detroit fan base because there was so much optimism for them coming into the year surrounding Hard Knocks. The first few games are like, oh, our offense looks so good, but we're losing close games basically falling off a cliff at this point and mostly because of the defense so it would be nice to see them put to put together a complete game and actually give the fans something to cheer about for once yeah they're going against a team that even though they got shut out last time they took the field are one of the most dominant offenses putting up points wise so it would be good to see if the cowboys can get back in shape with prescott under center and score some points with that incredible defense going on Moving to another quarterback returning to injury, Sam Darnold has returned to practice for the first time in nearly eight weeks. He's recovering from an ankle injury that he suffered before the season, and it looks like the Panthers, of course, shallow in the quarterback depth right now. If Sam Darnold gets back up on the field soon, he could be under center as well very soon. Mm. What a franchise. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as that, 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 that pause said it all. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, you know, good for him. I mean, the more that he can be out there, the better he can give himself a chance to be a, a backup at some point because at this point he's been so, so bad that, you know, he's got the physical tools. He probably would still get a shot, but, you know, maybe that'd be like a camp arm and then he'd have to prove it. If he actually plays okay for the rest of this year, he's certainly not going to get a good contract, but, you know, he might make a couple of million or a few million at least just to be a backup somewhere if he does well so you know that's kind of the only way that I really look at this with any kind of meaning at this point absolutely I agree with you there and best of luck in his recovery process moving to New Orleans Chris Olave has passed his concussion protocol and should suit up for Thursday's matchup against the Arizona Cardinals this is a banged up team as we know Andy Dalton will start a quarterback uh, with Jameis Winston still out, Marshawn Lattimore, Michael Thomas, Jarvis Landry, Andres Pete, and Andrew and Adam Trotman are all ruled out. Yeah, Olave's big. He's been having a really good rookie year, and they're banged up at the wide receiver position in general, and skill positions in general. So getting him back is is a really big deal, um, both for his development for the future and for the short term outlook of the team. You know, they're not. They don't have a great record as it is, but, you know, they're still hoping to make some noise and turn it around before the season gets too far gone. Absolutely. We shall see how it goes. And glad to see that Olave is back on the field for the Saints. And the last piece of news I got for you, as usual on 
our show midweek, our players of the week have been announced. So for the AFC offense, Josh Allen goes back-to-back weeks this year. 329 yards for three touchdowns. NFC offense, Marcus Mariota completed 13 of 14 passes for 129 yards and two touchdowns while rushing for 50 yards and a touchdown as well. Had a better fan, had a better uh, day in fantasy on my bench than my quarterback did. That started. <laughs> um, AFC defense, Quinnen Williams, you're, you're a good old Jet player. Five tackles, two sacks, a forced fumble, and a blocked field goal. NFC defense, Tariq Woolen for Seattle. Five tackles, fumble recovery, and an interception. And for the special teams in the AFC, Dustin Hopkins, who, by the way, will be out two to four weeks after injuring his hamstring, but he fought through that entire game going four for four and field goals, including the 39-yard game winner in overtime. And then for special teams in the NFC, Ryan Wright, the punter from Minnesota, who punted 10 times, put at least six to rest inside the 20-yard line, averaging 44.1 yards per boot with an astounding 73-yard kick in one of them. So that was pretty impressive to see. Wow, 73. <laughs> that's 73. That might well be the record for the season in terms of uh, net punt yardage. Wow. Um, cool. Yeah. Uh, first of all, Tariq Woolen, man. We talked about him last week on our rookie segment because he is an absolute physical monster. Maybe the most physically gifted corner to come out in this draft. Just so big, so fast. They just don't make corners like that. Rarely will you see a guy with those gifts be a corner. Generally, they will be a receiver just because, you know, everybody wants to be a receiver. But uh, the fact that he has paid dividends this early is huge. So, man, that Seahawks draft class has helped turn this team around in a big way. Now, maybe they're still not quite all the way there, but they took a major step in the right direction. And finally, Quinnen Williams is... Becoming the player that everybody hoped after he was drafted third overall back in 2019. He actually has some good players around him. And right now he is playing as well as any interior defensive lineman in all of the NFL. And it's whew, it is, uh, it's a sight to see. Obviously, I watched the full Jets game this past weekend. He is well deserving of player of the week because he dominated that game and made Aaron Rodgers' life absolutely miserable. Last one, Marcus Mariota. That's funny. Because that, I mean, I think, I think statistically speaking, that's a, probably a better day, fantasy wise, than really, mm-hmm. and really yeah. like in game wise. But I guess you know, I guess you got to give it to him. I feel like there was probably an NFC player who had a, a, a technically better game, but you know, I'm fine. To give it to Marcus Mariota for a week. You know, I'm, I'm cool. With I feel that. like it was, it was probably like a recognition piece. Falcons, you know, pulled an upset. You know, Marcus did well. Let's just give it to him. Yeah, not not any sh- not any shade or nothing. I just think it was more of a recognition thing. Yeah, thirteen or fourteen. Right that's pretty good though. Like that's that is that is good. super efficient. I mean, that's probably really where what what this award stemmed from is the fact that he hit thirteen out of fourteen. I mean, that's I, I really shouldn't I shouldn't uh, I shouldn't be too uh, uh, you know flippant with that. So nice job, nice nice job, Marcus. That's like ninety two percent. We'll take that. Yeah, man, it's a fast math. Nice job, Julius. I had that. In, in I had college, that. Man. I had. No, I had that in the notes. So I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I, I, math was not my thing. Uh, that's funny. Cool. All right. Well, I appreciate you very much. That's gonna do it for us today. Nice quick news segment. Now, if you're listening, we're going right into the rookies. If you're not listening and you're watching, this is it. But you should definitely check out the live stream because, you know, we're getting to the point where 
your team isn't playing that well, if you're the Lions, you know, if you are the Texans, we're going to be talking about some guys who are uh, might well be on your team in the next uh, six months or so. All right, Julius, let everybody know where they can find you until we see you again tomorrow. So you can find me on Twitter. That is GotChoose44. GotChoose44 on Twitter. You can find me on GreatIronHeroics.com where you can look up my name, find everything over there, as well as on Facebook. You just search up my name, Julius Lux. Beautiful. Sounds good. Everybody, we'll see you very soon. If you're listening, we'll see you very, very soon. And Julius, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. With the third pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select... Oh, listen, thank you. All righty. So we are currently waiting for Nick Miriam to join me. We're going to be talking about some rookie uh, rookies here. And should be just a minute. So the first segment that we're going to do is uh, our rookie segment. It's our rookie rundown. We're going to look at some of the rookies who have been playing well. But one of the big things that we're going to do today is we're actually going to do a top 10 redraft for 2022. So all the teams that had picks in the top 10, we're going to re-pick based on who has been the most impactful and who fits the team needs the best looking backwards. Then we're going to have a quick look ahead to the top 10 current projected picks for 2023. And after that, about halfway through the show, Owen McCuller is going to join us. And we are going to talk about some 2023 prospects. We've got some guys on the docket that we'd like to have some conversations about. There, obviously, there were a ton of really, really big college football games this uh, weekend. So we want to make sure that we go through them and, and talk about what the implications are for them to uh, you know be in the 2023 draft. So here's Nick Miriam. Looks like he's joining us right now. What's up, Nick? We are live as of right now. <laughs> so, all right, guys, this is Nick Miriam. He's our lead draft analyst. He's awesome. If you have listened to the show before, you know him very, very well. If you're new, um, Nick does a tremendous job. So we're going to talk about some rookies. I was just telling everybody. And again, now uh, we are live on YouTube. So if you are listening along in the podcast, remember you can always find us there four days a week and our rookie rundown slash 2023 prospects. That's always going to be Thursday at 1245 p.m. Eastern. So Nick, welcome back. How are you doing today, man? Doing great. Uh, busy. Got to go up to Syracuse this past weekend, which has set me back a little bit. Not only did it make last week tough, but it's made this week tough. Uh, but I got to go up and um, unfortunately my rugby team lost. But uh, Syracuse football, 6-0. and um, And hopefully that train keeps going along. Got a big test in Clemson this week. So uh, no very exciting things for the football powerhouse that is Syracuse University. <laughs> Syracuse was one of the closer schools to where I grew up, so I'm 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 actually familiar to some to some degree. You know, obviously, always been a big time basketball program, never really known as much for their football. But uh, all right, so the first thing that we're gonna do is do a rookie redraft. Okay, so going back to the top ten picks last year, um, I you know I really should have pulled like something up to like genuinely look at just for the prospect side of things. Not necessarily 
for for the top ten. But we have first overall the Jacksonville Jaguars, and we're kind of going to talk through this together. So, I mean, do you feel like? they are going in another direction? Do you feel like there's another edge rusher that would have been better off? Do you feel like there's another player who's doesn't matter the position is just too good to pass up? Well, I was a Hutchinson top prospect guy, um, but I think we have made it clear on the show that, that at least I have, that I believe so far this year that, that one of the mis-evaluations from a lot of people in this draft was perhaps jumping on these edge rushers a little bit too much uh, just because of what they showed at the end of their time as college players when you had more of a consistent level of production from the corners. And I think corners teams avoid picking them high because they're, it's a much harder position to draft or and to, to, to evaluate and, and find good players with. But I think it's, it's very clear right now that if you were to go back and you're Jacksonville, at least right now, the way the Jaguars are playing, I think they, you know, especially in today's league where everyone just kind of seems equal outside of three teams. If you want to compete right now as a Jags, you would have rather taken Sauce Gardner with that number one pick. Because um, there's an argument I think right now you can make that Sauce Gardner has been the best player in the secondary of any team in the NFL right now so far this year. Um, and it's 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 week to week. I saw somebody say that this guy hasn't been tested yet. Are, are we certain about that? I mean, this guy has gone up against <laughs> Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell in a week where, yes, Skylar Thompson was a quarterback. This week against Green Bay, sure, not great receivers, but it's Aaron Rodgers. Um, they played against the Patriots. They haven't played the Patriots yet. Um, I know there's they played – you're the Jets guy. Who have they played? I know looking at this uh, – they, 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 they played the Ravens. They played the Browns. So, he, you know, he's, so had, he's had Rashad, Rashad Bateman and Amari Cooper. Um He's had okay, so the week two. Oh, he, oh, he's played all the Pittsburgh guys. All the played, Pittsburgh guys. Um, um, Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase. There you go. That was the other big one. So the, the, he's had matchups against good receivers, and to this point, I think he's won every single one of them. Like, and is a big part of why this Jets defense has played. I would say well in almost every game they've had. I know they gave twenty-seven points to Cincinnati. The Bengals kind of had a couple of big plays in that game that, that led them, you know, that's a little inconsistent, but they were able to, to, to pull out some points in that game. They did force some field goals in the red zone. Really, the Cleveland game was the only game. And in that matchup, I think it was a lot of just Nick Chubb pounding the ball and then play action from Jacoby Brissett. The past mm-hmm. few weeks, it's been shut down. And if you were questioning what they did against Miami because of the quarterback injuries, this week against Green Bay was a big sign, I think, of things to come. It, it was a clinic. I, and the Packers could not do anything. And I think it's partially a, pro- a problem with their offense that they've had an issue when they get down in games, having to go spread out the, the, the football and, and throw the ball, you know, do dropbacks and normal passing offense when you have to come back from a deficit. The Jets got up early and, and you can credit their defense special teams to that. But there's another reason beyond just the fact that Green Bay's offense is struggling, that they were just unable to score more than 10 points at home against a team who I think has good young talent um, in the Jets. But we're not looking at that defense this year and going, oh, they're going to be able to like limit the Packers to doing much of anything the entire game. And mm-hmm. generally when something like that happens, it, it has to give hold to, yes, high-end talent throughout your roster or just one or two players, like in the case of the Rams when they play well, that have been dominant. And to this point, Sauce Gardner has been just a guaranteed, you're not going to get big plays out of your number one receiver every week. Yeah, look, I mean, 
It's a, it, it, you know, it's mildly disappointing in the sense that the Jets have two picks in the top ten and they're not going to get him now. But uh, look, I can't disagree with you. He's been amazing. It's, it's been very complimentary with the defensive line, but it's allowed them to be exceptionally aggressive as well. You know, they've had good play at their other uh, corner position. So, again, that gives you some confidence. But the reality is that Sauce Gardner's his change of direction for his size is, is, is ridiculous. And, you know, I remember, so I did defensive uh, rookies with Max, uh, with Max Chadwick before the season. We had a, a, a talk about it. And we talked about his change of direction for his size. It's, it's unreal. It really is. And he's just showing that on an NFL field now as well. So, we got to move on to some other picks here. But, like you said, everything there is to say, he's an incredible player. I feel very, very lucky that the teams who we're about to talk about decided not to take him <laughs> in the actual draft. All right. The Detroit Lions at number two, they took Aiden Hutchinson. Um, I, I, I don't think it's been disappointing necessarily because he's been a good player, but there have been some awesome players that I think that retroactively we would, we would go for. Who do you have in mind for this at number two? So I think I'd still go Hutchinson, honestly. Um, okay. There are a lot of Lions fans, I think. Well, maybe not a lot, because I think the hometown people are still in with their Michigan boy. But I know some Lions people who are maybe a little disappointed by the start with Hutchinson. I just have an expectation that he eventually is going to produce more than we've seen to this point. Um, they've just been injured. And it's, I think it's difficult to evaluate this Lions team to this point, because they have had issues depth defensively all year long. And because of that, they've decided they're going to play just inordinate amounts of cover zero blitz, uh, which just is not today's league. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's it's just it's warped that team to a point where they're worse than they should be because of the injuries, and I don't know how to evaluate them. Hutchinson has shown some flashes. It's not what you want from your number two overall pick right off the bat, but then again, like I, I don't know how how we can evaluate anything over there in Detroit because I don't think that's a one in five team. I think statistically through like three games we're like, oh, this might be a playoff team. Like they're scoring a lot of points. They're making enough plays defensively to keep themselves in games. Probably should have beaten Minnesota. Had some unfortunate bounces in that game, and and it's literally every player on that team is injured. Like they are playing their preseason backups right now. Yeah, this is a tough one. I think I hear you, and I think you can make a real case that they should be looking at another defensive position, perhaps like Derek, Derek Stingley Jr., because knowing what other ammunition they have on the back end, whether they trade up or not, and knowing how loaded of a class this is at uh, edge, maybe it would be wise to go to another position and then circle back to, to edge where we've had some impact players. I know it's a lot of second guessing, um, so we'll roll through this redraft with your pick, but I think that you could make an argument that another player might be might be best off there. All right, Houston. Um, I don't know. Who else would you go with with Stingley here then? I mean, Trevon Walker's still on the board. He's the only, uh, uh, you know, shakeup so far. Yeah, and I, I'd stick with Stingley. It's, again, this is a team that we knew wasn't very talented coming into the year, and I think defensively they've punched above their weight to a degree, and part of that is Stingley's play. Haven't seen it every week, but there are flashes of why you took this guy third overall. And unlike Sauce Gardner, there's more of a man orientation to his play, which again, there's less man coverage in today's league. So the Texans had to kind of switch up the way they run that Tampa two defense so that you could use him more in, in kind of those one-on-one situations. But as soon as they've done that, Stingley has definitely helped them out. And 
as far as Houston goes in a rebuilding season, they've been about as solid as you could have hoped for. And I think a big part of that is the fact that their their back end hasn't been a complete letdown, and Stingley is a huge part of that. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think he's playing well. I think I think he was a worthwhile pick. I still have concerns about injuries just because of his background, but obviously it hasn't been a problem so far as a pro. All right, New York Jets at number four. Their guys off the board. Again, they have a ton of picks. They've got another one at 10. They've got two in the top 40, uh, you know, prior to any trade-ups that they actually did. So, I mean, what could be as impactful for their team as Sauce Gardner has been? It's hard to find one. I mean, are are they looking at edge now? Are they going receiver earlier? Um, Are they looking at tackle? Because we know that that's been a problem for them. I mean, if you're at number four here and you're at number 10, and there isn't a corner who's going to do what Sauce does for you. Do you do you look at tackle and then circle back to a deep wide receiver class? Because we've had some impactful guys in the top 10. What do you think? There's not really a tackle at this point that I feel comfortable with taking. I know there are prospects and we're probably going to end up having one in the top 10. But I, these guys haven't really flashed what we've expected from them yet. Which is kind of expected with tackle prospects. They take a little longer to develop. I think the safe pick here for them is Trevon Walker. You just you end up taking the edge player who has flashed some brilliance with his athleticism. I would consider receiver here. I think the reason I would end up going with Walker is just I think so many receivers have performed well to this point that if we're legitimately saying, okay, we toss all these players back in a bin and we redraft them, that they feel comfortable about, comfortable about what receivers will be available with the 10th pick. And so I would bet on still at this point Walker's traits, and I would take him with the fourth pick. So you'd still take him, even though we've seen some flashes from Kayvon Thibodeau as well. You're still you're still in on the traits from Walker. Yeah, and I was much higher on Thibodeau than Walker, and I think we've seen more from Walker than Thibodeau. Um, because, quite frankly, the Giants' defense has helped out their pass rush a lot with some of their play. Martindale's doing a great job. Jacksonville, I, I also think, has had some pretty good coaching. It's not quite the level of what New York's had. And mm-hmm. we've kind of seen Walker on an island be able to produce pretty consistently, at least game to game, not snap to snap. Uh, we do have to keep we have to pick up the pace a little bit because we're going to get to like pick six and be be out of time. <laughs> so, um, OK, so I got you. All right. We'll go with uh, Trevon Walker at pick number four. The Giants at pick number five. That is where Kayvon Thibodeau originally went. Uh, is that what we're doing? Um, yeah. Are they happy with what they've done? Are they happy with, with the final outcome based on who's still there? We'll stick with Thibodeau. Um, late start to his career because of injuries. He's trending upward and I think has been impactful for that front four. I think they're going to be happy about that pick going forwards. Yeah, I think so as well. And now we have the Carolina Panthers at pick five. They took a Kim Kwanu. Um, you know, I don't think that's been exactly what they had hoped, but it was a relatively dysfunctional situation. Uh, are they are they looking at this player again? I think there's probably been too many offensive players that have played well to go back to that well. Um, I know offensive line is a need for them. I think based on what we've seen so far, if we're going to pick a tackle here, just because it's such a desperate need, I think Charles Cross has probably been, probably been the best of, of the big three. What do you think? Yeah, I think he's been better. Aquanu's actually been very solid over the past two weeks. He's 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 really gotten his his, his game together. It's again another tough team to evaluate because they are just so horrific on the offensive side of the football. 
I would probably go with Charles Cross because he was my tackle one in the draft. Uh, but it's close. I wouldn't be shocked here. Like, well, obviously they went a Quano OT one. I would think they are still happy with who they've selected based on what they've seen over the past couple weeks. And I think he's still going to end up being a good player. Um, if it's me, though, just based on my pre-draft evaluations, Charles Cross is my OT one. That's who I'm taking here. Yeah, well, I think any of those tackles, you could probably still make an argument for based on how the early career has gone. I think the more immediate impact has been Charles Cross, especially in pass protection. And now knowing that they're going to be looking for a new coaching staff, you know what I mean? They're probably going to move Christian McCaffrey. I don't think necessarily focusing on the ground and, you know, the ground and pound specialty tackles is the way to go. I think you want to get your pass protection, you know, locked up tight. So that's, that's what I would do. So I think we can roll with that. All right. The New York Giants at pick seven, their guy, Evan Neal is still there, but also now Ikemaquanu is still there. They also have potential offensive weapons. I think a big part of their, their early success is the fact that the offensive line has been shored up notably. So I'm not sure I would want to deviate from at least that position. Would you rather go Iquanu or Neil here right now? Um, I actually think I would deviate just because Neil hasn't really played that well. And I kind of knew that. Like, we knew off the bat, like, he wasn't going to be great. And eventually he could end up being a really good player. But right now this is a team that's competing. And if they had better receivers, I think they'd be taken more seriously. So I'm going to give them Chris Olave here with the seventh pick because I think he has been – I know the situation's probably pretty good for him, but the best receiver, I think, so far, the guy's drafted, at least regardless of situation. This isn't a like saying that Evan Neal is not going to end up being a good player. It's just that right now I look at that Giants team and I say, could I would I swap just for this year Evan Neal for a receiver? I would do that because I think at least in, if like, like redrafting this whole draft hypothetically, you could find a guy who could give you, at least for this year, Evan Neal-level play. And then you, they just they they don't have a go to guy at receiver, and Olave has just been so reliable. I think that could change their dynamic offensively, really give them an over the top uh, element that they that they lack right now. Okay, all right, uh, I'll roll with you on that. I think, I think if you're going receiver early, I'm I'm almost more comfortable with Drake London just because I I, I I've been impressed with with what he's done so far. I think he probably fits. You know what? I'll go with Olave with you. I'll, I'll go with that because I do think it probably fits Dable's offense, Kafka's offense, a bit a bit better. If you're looking for a Stephon Diggs type, that's probably closer to Olave than Drake London. So if we're if we're picturing recreating that, then that's a that's a solid way to go. All right. Atlanta Falcons at pick eight. They did take Drake London. Are they happy with that pick? Are they? I mean, their offensive line has been a lot better without having to invest a first-round pick there, so we probably can justify not taking one of those guys. So do we do we go Drake London, or do we look at somebody defensively? Because we talked about it last week. Drake London has basically just taken over Kyle Pitts' role. So do we just feature Kyle Pitts in the offense and take a defensive player? I mean, at this point, we still have guys like Devin Lloyd available. Um, you know, we still have... Who else is out there that, that has played well early in, in their career? I mean, um, they could they could potentially take Kenny Pickett here, who's who's shown some some juice. I mean, I would say that that's not an unrealistic conversation to have. Um, Kyrie Elam has played well too. If they want to take another corner to pair up, I mean, I just I think 
not that I dislike Drake London in any way, shape, or form, but would that would do we feel like that's the best allocation of resources for them? I do only because when I look at this exercise, I think I'm the GM. The coach is going to do what the coaches do. And I don't expect that if we take Drake London off that team that Kyle Pitts is actually going to step into the role that Drake London is playing right now because he didn't really last year. He's still kind of been the Jonu Smith of that offense, um, which is, again, not the role that I think he should be in, but it's where they're using him. Uh, and I do think London fits what they need offensively. And the reason this team is competing is because of their offense. Offensive line, I think they've done a great job of scheming up to be great in the run game. Same thing they did in Tennessee. They just do a really good job of coaching those guys into good zone offensive linemen. Uh, they're not really getting much more out of those guys, and their pass protection isn't great, but they've produced off of play action, which kind of protects against that. And so I think that London has been a big part of their early success. The defense is a problem. But it's not a defense that I look at and I go, okay, we're going to take one player here and it's going to make them tremendously better, you know? Okay. All right. Then Drake London it is. I'm happy with that. I love Drake London. Um, all right. Next up, we have the Seattle Seahawks. They took Charles Cross. I mean, it's worked out for them so far. Guys that we still have on the board. Uh, we still have Evan Neal, we still have Garrett Wilson, Jamison Williams, Jordan Davis, all the guys that went directly thereafter. Our, our top 10 has largely been the same players. Um, I guess Ikemaquanu is still available as well. Do you have somebody in mind for this pick already? Yeah, I got a curveball here. Okay. We're going to go, we're going to get the guy that they took later in this draft. We're going to take Tariq Woolen with a number nine pick here. Um, I think he's been a very important part of their ability to, to continue to have any shot in these games because they this is a team that I do think Woolen has stepped in, and I don't know this happens with Atlanta, so that's why I didn't want to take him at number eight, in that scheme, which is very much dependent on rangy cover three corners and has made these negative EPA game-changing plays for defense that gives up a lot of yards. He's had a lot of interceptions and has given them an opportunity to kind of get a possession up on teams and lean on that offense to win games. And because of it, they're in the wild card chase now, and maybe even the NFC West chase because that division hasn't been as good as we thought it's been. Um, again, just immediate here, I think Woolen's been a very important part of their success. They've had a lot of good draft picks, crosses off the board. This is the guy for me right now that I, I think we will look back on in a few years and be like, Man, that was just this. He was such an athletic freak. How did we let that guy fall to the fourth round, fifth round, or wherever he went? Okay. All right. Um, so that puts the Jets in the position that they're not getting one of the top corners. Um, their guy, Garrett Wilson, is still there, and he's been pretty good for them. Perhaps not super consistent, um, but he's been one of the better offensive rookies so far. Obviously, Brees Hall has probably been the best offensive rookie so far. He's the current favorite to win rookie of the year at this point. In fact, the Jets have have the favorite, at least for betting odds, to win both defensive and offensive rookie of the year as it stands. But we're still in that conversation. Is that top 10 value for a running back? I uh, Considering where they're drafting later, they can probably still make a move to get him, hypothetically. You know, they can still tri make that trade up. But... Uh, so what are we doing? Are we sticking with Garrett Wilson here, or do you have um, somebody else in mind? It's a consideration. Uh, I would, it would for me, between Wilson, 
Iquanu, I think, would fit better in his scheme, and probably you would get more out of him immediately, especially out of the run game. <clears throat> I don't know how you feel about line at this point, considering they've like it's it's not been fantastic, but it's been better all without you know an Iquanu type, and I think their scheme kind of adapts around the offensive line pretty well. Um, and then Devin Lloyd has been the next best defensive player, in my opinion. I don't know that without a Sauce Gardner, you're getting the impact from a Devin Lloyd that really makes up defensively for the hole that that would create. Well, you've already got him taking Trevon Walker, right? So yes. I don't think double dipping at that defensive spot is probably That's the true. way to go. They have they've had a lot of success with their linebackers. Maybe not, you know, maybe not with the the upside of a Devin Lloyd, but I don't think that's the value for them here. So I, I think you've either got to go receiver or offensive line. And I think with the young quarterback, you've just got to give him weapons. You've got, you really just have to. So I would rather go with Garrett Wilson here. Um, and based on how they've adapted the offensive line and look, they're still going to be getting their guys, Max Mitchell back. So they may put Vera Tucker back inside and they've got Dwayne Brown and it's functional. I understand you want to continue to invest at the offensive line, but considering the fact that they did, they've made it work up to this point. I think, I think Garrett Wilson is the way to go. Yep. All right. Let's pencil that in. Then I, I think it's it's smart, and they've had other weapons play well, but I do think to this point the big reason that they've looked better is just that they have a multitude of guys to go to. Um, Wilson is playing well, but I think you've also seen better play from Corey Davis. Um, maybe not entirely from Elijah Moore, but he's been there. Um, and even some other guys are getting involved too outside of those guys. And it's just, it's different when you have reliably three weapons on the field that can get open. Yeah, it does change the dynamic. It forces other other defensive players to just respect every, every, every coverage zone. It has to be respected. You can't really cheat if you have a number of guys who can, can really threaten you. I do believe that it's made Corey Davis's life easier. So, all right, let's do a quick recap of the top 10. First overall, Jacksonville Jaguars took uh, uh, Sauce Gardner. Second overall, they Detroit Lions have taken Aiden Hutchinson again. At three, the Houston Texans have taken Derek Stingley Jr. again. At four, the New York Jets took Trevon Walker. So the top four is exactly the same with the swap of Sauce Gardner and Trevon Walker. At five, the Giants keep Kayvon Thibodeau. At six, the Carolina Panthers. You said that they went. Who did Charles? Who Cross. did you have them take? He took Charles Cross the tackle. Charles Cross, that's right, yeah. top tackle. New York Giants at seven. You had them taking Chris Olave. Atlanta Falcons take Drake London at eight. Seattle Seahawks. Go with Tariq Woolen instead of Charles Cross at pick nine. And the Jets at 10 take Garrett Wilson one more time. So the last thing that we're going to talk about quick before we bring Owen on board is the future top 10 projections. So let me just pull it up right here. We're not really going to do a, a mock draft or anything like that, but we're just looking ahead at the teams that have a top 10 pick as it stands. So the Panthers are first overall. At a one and five record, I mean they are taking a quarterback, right? That if they are in position, I don't think there's any question about that. They traded away uh, Robbie Anderson, but they still have a few offensive weapons. Um, they have their tackle 
I think at this point, you just got to fix that position. And a new coach is going to come in, get to choose his guy. You know, you've been a big Bryce Young guy. How, how would you see Bryce Young fitting in in that offense? Obviously, you know, who knows what scheme it's going to be, but. I think he fits in any system. That's kind of the upside of having a guy who is NFL ready in terms of processing, which to a degree that I think a lot of guys, his floor of processing is higher than a lot of guys ceiling at processing. Um, and, and I know there's going to be a whole debate. I think the NFL, quite frankly, I've, I've thought Stroud's going to be the, the number one guy. But I actually think after a few more weeks here, there's going to be a real debate between not just Young and Stroud, but Will Levis as well, I think will be included in that top pick discussion. And so it's going to be about what coach you hire, what type of quarterback they want, um, which means I think they're going to lean offensive in terms of their coaching hire. And I think Young is the most easy to project to a wide array of systems in the NFL. Uh, but it could be Stroud here if they, you know, want to put something in similar to what Ohio State does, uh, maybe a little more ecology of an offense, uh, which we've kind of seen the NFL trend towards. Um, or Will Levis is just a long-term project. They think they're going to be rebuilding. Levis might have a higher ceiling just because of those tools. Um, I would go Young, but it, I, I think it has to be quarterback for Carolina. So then at 2, 3, and 4, we've got the Raiders – Lions and Texans. Texans are a one, three, and one, which is what puts them at four. Um, I think you, you know you could make a case for a quarterback for them if there's one available because they you know they haven't heavily invested in Davis Mills. No, um, I guess we'll see over the course of the season and really have to decide what the evaluation is on him. The Lions, they've got Jared Goff, but they could go quarterback. The Raiders here, they signed a contract with Carr, but it's not necessarily committed to him, financially speaking, compared to many quarterback contracts. So any one of those teams could reset there, but none of them absolutely have to. So that's an interesting dynamic. What do you think about those three? I think the Raiders, first of all, they're my turnaround team. I don't think they're going to be picked here. I think they've played better than their record, and they're going to end up being good mm -hmm. by the end of the year. But if they do end up here they're in a really tough spot because they have invested money now at edge position. They've got two, I mean, Max Crosby, he signed an extension, right? I believe he, he's, mm -hmm. he's there. Chandler Jones, they can probably get out that contract at some point, considering he's older. I, I believe they've probably structured it that way, but I don't think edge is a weakness for them, you know? Um, and Will Anderson is, is going to be prospect number one outside of quarterbacks here. So I, you know, I don't know that they want to go in that direction. Could they justify taking a Jalen Carter at two? Maybe. Um, but I wouldn't say it's unrealistic if you end up here. If you end up here, Derek Carr's probably played pretty poor. Maybe quarterback is the direction they go. Um, I don't know. It's it's an interesting discussion. I don't think they will be here, and I, I think I would pencil in Will Anderson just because they have Carr, but that's a tough one. And I, I, it's it's one of those like early season things where I'm just, I don't think this is realistic that they'll actually be picking to, uh, but it would create a very, very interesting discussion about quarterback asset uh usage for them could also be a potential trade-up spot for another yes. team that that's that's compiled some assets i mean if you look at a team like uh like like if you i don't know who who has the picks that they could pull something like that off i mean really anybody if they really wanted to so philadelphia <laughs> <laughs> yeah well right and reset and again we'll move on from, yeah. yeah i mean yeah, we've seen it uh, i don't I think they're better off now than they were with Wentz, but 
Yeah. All right. So then again, then you got Houston and Detroit. They probably will be looking at that. Yeah. I think very realistically, if that's them. So then, at five, six, and seven, we have picks that have been basically forfeited by their original team in trade. So, Saints gave up are currently giving up the number five pick to the Eagles, who could triple down on the defensive line as they are, uh, you know, happy to do. So that could definitely be an Anderson type spot. You know, maybe the Eagles even trade up to two to grab him if they want to, um, just to secure him, uh, just because they have the assets. Then at six, we have Cleveland giving the pick to the Texans. So this puts currently the Texans at two picks in the top six. And we've got Denver giving their pick to Seattle at seven for Russell Wilson. So the Seattle Seahawks have another top 10 pick. They could be looking at trading up for a quarterback, or they could be looking at more defensive talent or really anything. I think I think the way that that team is structured at seven, you can kind of just take whoever's good, you know, like whoever whoever you deem to be the best prospect. I don't think you've put yourself in a situation where you have to take anybody. So what do we think about that, that uh, this little group of three teams that have all accumulated top 10 picks via trade? Houston, you're assuming, probably goes quarterback with their first pick. I think if they believe, especially if they get their hands on a non-Levis type who is like ready, you could surround more town that roster and be competing pretty quickly if you believe in that quarterback. Um, unfortunately, I don't know there's a receiver you want to take at six. Offensive line, we've got Peter Skronsky. He's probably the one guy I would take that high. And I think he probably ends up going to one of these three teams. So just going through it, five, six, seven. Philly, we've discussed as well on this podcast that I think they're moving on from Fletcher Cox after this year, and they've been preparing for that. They have Jordan Davis, but Jordan Davis is not a guy you want playing three downs. So I think that's your Jalen Carter spot. I think they look at that extra pick as like, oh, wow, we can get a stud defensive tackle and just, just by bonus of moving our assets down the line and, and getting this future mm-hmm. pick. That is... Huge for a team that relies on that front four pressure so much and that rotation. Jalen Carter is we is is a Jonathan Allen type that's going to step in day one and just give you like all facets of the game, good player. Um, and I think there is a discussion for him, you know, with that Raiders pick. Although it seems weird because of Will Anderson, um, I think they would go Anderson because he's just a better player at this point. But I, I don't think the Eagles would feel bad at all about sitting here at five and just letting a blue chip D tackle prospect fall in their lap again. And they'll always be willing to trade back as well if it presents, you know, a quality opportunity. All right. At eight, nine, and 10, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Arizona Cardinals, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. These are three teams in just wildly different situations, all from each other. The Steelers, they're going through a little bit of turnover. They still have a very good defense that's been banged up this year. Their offense is awful. So I feel like if, if a Skaronsky is available here, that is 110% who you have to go with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and but they've got their young quarterback, and they may be better than two and ten or two and whatever. You know, whatever gets them a top ten pick, but I still find it hard to to see them winning enough games to you know be notably farther down than that. The Cardinals are imploding. We're going to see them against the Saints tonight. <clears throat> so, you know, either they're going to show something with DeAndre Hopkins back. Or they're not, and this is this is going to be one of the wildest HBO seasons that we've ever watched. And then at Jacksonville, number ten, 
I mean, hard knocks. I say HBO, but uh, and then Jacksonville at ten. Look, they're 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 trying to turn things around. We've seen some good things. They haven't quite put it together consistently. They could win some more games by the time the season's over, too. Probably, you could make the argument that just taking whatever good player is available there is the way to go. I think an offensive weapon, I mean, if this is a place where you can get a Jackson Smith and Jigba, then that's probably a good fit for what they have or what they need over there. What do you think? Yeah, I think Jigba is sliding down board just because he hasn't played yet. And I don't really want to project him up there at this point. I think right now the guy... You know, I thought we could be most impressed with and has really broken out of the past couple of weeks is Quentin Johnston, who we're going to talk about a little bit up in a, in, a, in a moment. But I think that right now, it's him and Addison are kind of your top wide receivers. And I think if you're Jacksonville and you're looking for that number one X receiver, Johnston fits that better for them. And I think Trevor Lawrence's style of just kind of giving his receivers a chance, throwing the ball up and give them a shot, works really well with Johnston as a player. So that is a fit that I've kind of been eyeing for a few weeks here, and I really like. Um, we talked about offensive line, six through nine, all those teams. One of them's getting Skaronsky. I don't know who. I would lean on probably more likely the Seahawks or Texans are going to go that direction just because I think he's going to be one of the top prospects here. The next, the other three picks are tough. Brian Brissy, we've discussed, I think is in, like one of the better players in this draft, but it's all pedigree at this point. We haven't seen enough of him play. There have been flashes of brilliance, but because there isn't clear top prospects outside of him, I don't know what position you go other than him at this point. Uh, there have been Miles Murphy has been thrown out there. There's another guy who probably has produced at like a top 20 chip, but not a top 10 chip. He's a freak athlete. Maybe he goes in this range. There's a couple other edge guys, Tyree Wilson, Texas Tech, another very, very athletic, produced a little bit more this year. He's going to test out of the gym and at the combine. Might be a guy that goes at this point. Corner class interesting cam smith owen and i both have corner one that might be where arizona goes they really need corner help they've been struggling to find top corner talent for years they went byron murphy in that one draft stuck him in the slot and then just decided to draft linebackers to the end of time uh which has gone accordingly um so i think if you're jacksonville you feel comfortable that if you want your pick at a wide receiver unless houston jumps the gun at six you're probably going to get your guy here. And if it's me, I'm leaning Johnston. I could see Addison. And I, I we haven't seen Smith and Jigba yet. I'm a big fan of his. He needs to play before I give him that ability in this draft. But he certainly should be on their radar. All right. So we will continue to monitor that as things change. There will obviously be, be fluctuation. I projected Chicago to have a top 10 pick. They're currently... I mean, I projected them to have the top pick. They're currently at pick 11. I think that could drop down real quick. Obviously, everything's all kind of bunched up there. Washington could have a top 10 pick very easily. Um, you know, Atlanta probably will be a little bit better, but that's probably it. And, and those are the primary teams that we're looking at here. So let's welcome Owen in. I'm going to bring him in, and we're going to talk about a little bit more of a deep dive in some of these prospects for this week. <music> What's up, Owen? Nothing much. Owen McCuller, everybody. <laughs> Sorry for our little uh, snafu earlier, but good to have you back on, man. How are you? Good to be back on and after uh, 20 minutes of being off. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. No, you're good. We'll, uh, we'll uh, be a little bit more efficient with our, our rookie segment next week. We'll make it chill in your, uh, in your little uh, <laughs> lonely lobby there. All right, guys. 
So uh, we are going to talk about some prospects today. We've got a couple of guys on that docket as well. I think I think a great place to start is the place to talk. The place to start when we're talking about college football for this weekend period, and that is Alabama, Tennessee. We had prospects that showed up big. I mean, there's one that we're going to talk about a little bit deeper here in just a second, uh, and that will be Hendon Hooker. But but just generally speaking. In that big-time SEC matchup, who were the biggest players that you thought made a case for themselves to be quality draft picks here? I mean, I, I wasn't even aware that Tennessee had a draft receiver until that game. He had, like, what was it, like five touchdowns on six catches. So, I mean, I, I, I was gonna I was getting through receivers, and no one really made mention of him until uh, on the daily basis I was using. And then after that game, it was just insane because he got he was able to get open and often, uh, especially downfield. And it, I I was it was kind of like that Randy Moss game where he had three catches for three touchdowns. It was I saw that uh, memed a lot. So he really I mean, if people did know about him like how I I wasn't really aware, uh, that well aware of him for that game. People definitely have to look into him more, uh, just because of his insane stat line. Depending, uh, and we'll have to go back and see like okay why did we not hear about him and what did we miss on him for uh, these past few games in the season. Tennessee's an interesting one because we're going to be discovering more prospects from them as the year goes on. They have a couple receivers between Hyatt and um, Cedric Tillman, I think, that we'll keep our eyes on. I don't know exactly where they fall on the boards right now because I haven't done like a full deep dive. But I will say we're going to discuss Hendon Hooker in a little bit. His his game was interesting. He continues to be a, a, a fun one for this year. Um, Bryce Young is awesome. Uh, <laughs> can we... <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm, you know, I, people like don't think I should be running laps today because of them losing. But, and I know Alabama probably has one of the best defenses in the country, and they got torched. And you know, Jameer Gibbs is support more support than maybe we've given them, him credit for. But this was Bryce Young's game to keep them in, and he alone is the reason that this was a matchup. Bryce Young doesn't play; they probably lose this game by twenty points. I think is yeah, that fair. I, yeah, I, and I definitely agree with you. I think I think he's been outstanding all season, especially uh, in this games and in clutch games in general. Like against Texas, he really showed up real well, especially in that time where he was really able to just keep calm and drive the field down. Uh, I saw this when I was in the waiting room. Uh, I was scrolling through Instagram, and there was an Instagram account I call I follow called NFL Draft Geek, and he posted a picture, and it's the current Heisman Trophy leaderboard, like the odds, um, and currently. So I don't know if these are his his rankings or his odds, but we brought up Bryce Young, and uh, we're going to talk about Hendon Hooker in a minute. He has Hendon Hooker at one, and he has Bryce Young all the way down at seven behind Max Dugan of TCU, Blake Corum, Chase Brown, Drake May, CJ Stroud, and Hooker. Just wanted to see you because I know you're one of the bigger guys, bigger on uh, Young than I've seen. Are we officially at the point where we start calling out other people's draft takes? That's that's uh, The season has started now then, right? Yeah. I mean, well, it's week seven, right? So people are going to start putting up their, their, like, I don't know if that's based on odds or if that's his per, uh, personal rankings. I just know that Nick was one of the bigger uh, Bryce Young people I've, I've met so far. I don't need other people's takes to get me off of this. I've seen some people, like, with <laughs> with takes on this. There's a Bryce Young throw to the opposite hash in college in rhythm, like three-step drop, just 40 yards, rip it, um, one-on-one outside shoulder, and just the ball dips. Like, that is... That's like what Trevor Lawrence was lauded for coming out as having a, a pass that you could dip at that level of, of depth. And he was able to make that happen, which is just a great thing for his to show for his arm talent to a degree. 
Um, and people are like, oh, that's like an Alex Smith 20-yard throw. First of all, people I don't think look at yardage. Like, it was second and 20, so it was a 30-yard throw. And second of all, if you throw from the opposite hash in college to the numbers, in, in the NFL, that's like 15 yards. In college, it's 25. Like, that's an extra 10 yards to your throw horizontally, um, which doesn't end mm-hmm. up being a full 10 yards. But it, like people look at this and they think, oh, it's a 20-yard throw. It's like a 40-yard throw without much of a set like this is just one two three go lead your guy um he made some throws in that game that were quite frankly beyond what i was expecting from him against tennessee um but again it's just the 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 eyes on the back of the head that also happen to be on the side of his head and diagonally forward and backward because this guy has full 360 vision not just in terms of his anticipation but in terms of sensing pass rushers he doesn't have to see you he's going to make the move and it's not like Tua where people were like oh, I don't know that he has the athleticism to make it work the NFL. He's barely dodging guys. He has a full, like, four-yard cushion when he's moving away from pressure and, and making the moves to get away from pass rushers. And then he's finding receivers without even seeing them. I mean, you know, he just – there's, like, a visualization thing going on in his head where he just knows where people are. Um, and it's – you don't see that. You just don't. That is a trait that the best of the best have – and you can't teach it out of guys who are trying to develop. Like you have to just have it or you don't. And Bryce Young has it. Yeah, and I think with someone because one of the biggest knocks on him as a prospect is his size, right? He's kind of a leaner dude, shorter, um, which is I feel like we've heard that about plenty of guys. And usually, they're knocked on being maybe they're athletic, they're not able to physically hold up. And a lot of them don't have the arm strength as some of these bigger, you know, six five quarterbacks where that's their main attribute. So having a strong arm, especially for a quarterback his size, is going to be a giant uh, like plus on his scouting report because you typically that's where you try to find like the weaknesses. If they have a low size, it's low physicality, potentially get injured, and less of an arm strength than somebody like a Will Levis who's a much bigger prospect who has that kind of arm strength to expect with that size. So having for Bryce Young to have the awareness, the accuracy, and the maneuver uh, maneuverability of like a guy who has to be at those high levels to make it as a shorter quarterback while also bringing the strong arm of a bigger quarterback into his toolbox, I think that's going to make a lot of people see him a lot more highly than they have previously some undersized quarterbacks that have come out and fallen because of that. Has to add weight to his frame. I think he can. He's skinny. I think you could add a 15, 20 pounds to his, to his frame if, if you try. Yeah, we definitely see. We saw like Lamar add frame this year. Uh, he, got, he definitely came in more bulky. So I, I, I doubt it's not like weight, like as in like he has to fill out. It's just if you can add muscle weight and it doesn't even look like you've added so much more, but you've added like 15 pounds of muscle, uh, it's still much more significant than being like a stick kind of guy. Yeah, it's, it, it's, well, it's tougher to add 15 pounds of muscle and not have it show up when you're a little bit smaller. If you're Lamar Jackson, you've got a few more inches to work with, mm-hmm. uh, to be fair. But no, it's, it's, it's a good point. I think there's an interesting conversation about the longevity of smaller quarterbacks. Um, you know, we haven't seen a ton of these guys in the NFL, so we have to look at just a few we do have. I mean, we've, we've had Drew Brees who he played for a very long time relative to most quarterbacks, but he dropped off notably as time went on. And he really relied exclusively on accuracy and, and, and his ability to read the defense very, very quickly to be somewhat effective as time went on. Russell Wilson is a guy where we're not really seeing that, that longevity 
that we would have hoped for. Now, maybe that's overreacting because he's banged up this year, but I, I think that you know you do expect to have longer careers out of some of these bigger quarterbacks. Kyler Murray, totally different situation. He's too young to really have that be you know, part of the conversation. But if you're looking at Bryce Young and you're, you're trying to convince yourself to go with a bigger bigger, stronger quarterback, maybe because there's more longevity, maybe there's more upside. I think something that you've got to realize is that you can draft a quarterback who may or may not work out. And sure, maybe the upside is an 18-year career where they're, you know, they're, they're playing with the best of them till the very end. Or you could maybe have a guy like a Russell Wilson that plays very, very well and then tails off because his body can't hold up. Um, to, to, to the stress of the NFL over that length of time. But which one would you rather have? Would you rather have a much closer to a sure thing for a decade and then have to move on after that? Or would you rather have the risk? I think personally speaking, sure, it sounds great to have your starting quarterback be a 20-year guy. I'd rather take the closer to a sure thing for 10 years. You know what I mean? Give, you, give yourself 10 years of like a true Super Bowl window with a top guy. And then have to reset. I would I would rather do that, and then you know just get out on Russell Wilson at the right time. That's well, that's my interpretation. Yeah, and I don't think the Saints or Seahawks regret having Drew Brees or Russell Wilson instead of Peyton exactly. Manning. I guess, um, or the Cardinals even with Kyler Murray. I don't think they regret drafting him. Uh, but I think we we well Justin Herbert like has had some injuries this year. I don't know that's going to shorten his career, but like, can we be concerned about it? Because this guy's been beat up, and he's playing. Andrew Luck's career ended early because they couldn't keep him. Same healthy. draft class, same draft class. Him and Andrew Luck, and him and RG three, same draft class. These are and those two are already out of the league, whereas he's still going. And with Russ, we ever, ever since he came in the league, it was every year. Okay, Russ has a terrible offensive line. Russ has this. He's getting sacked x amount of times. He's getting top five in sacks. So if you get a small quarterback and you're genuinely worried, like if you look at it and it's like, okay, we can take the much more talented quarterback, but he's smaller, or we take this bigger guy who might be able to hold up against the NFL, why wouldn't you take the more talented quarterback and then just focus on building your offensive line to prevent those injuries from happening? Because if he doesn't get hit as much, it doesn't matter. The tall guy could be hit twice as much and then still be hurt just as much as the smaller guy. And I think in the case of Wilson and Breeze, the issue was Wilson's just not the athlete he used to be. He can't avoid those hits. He's never been a middle field passer, which is so hard for these shorter guys to do. Wilson like can't see it. He doesn't do it. He's a sideline guy. Breeze was done when his arm was cooked. He couldn't make the middle field throws anymore. Bryce Young, despite his size, has been one of the most efficient middle field, like 10 to 20 yard passers in college over the past two years. That's his game. That's what he does. Uh, so I think he is going to fall more into a lot of these shorter guys get comped to Breeze and Wilson. I think he's going to fall more into that Breeze realm of quarterback play because he is a decision maker, processor, spread the ball around the field, make the 10 to 20 intermediate throws, be accurate. Yeah, yeah. accuracy and touch was a huge part of why Breeze was able to do it over the middle of the field so well. He was, he was able to just project the ball over the offense and defensive linemen, over the linebackers, in between them. Like, it, it, a truly rare skill. So if Young can do that, then, I mean... It's hard to justify not taking him as a top guy because, you know, you can sit there and watch whoever, whatever big-time athlete you know, struggle to acclimatize to the game when you kind of know that's going to work for Young. All right, so <clears throat> Hendon Hooker. If I, don't, if I don't guide us there, we'll talk about <laughs> Bryce Young for the next 25 minutes. So how do we get here? I talked with Max Chadwick earlier this week. 
you know me, guys. I'm not that deep into uh, into college. I did not even realize how long he had been there. Because I hadn't been hearing about him in the, the lead-up to this draft, I assumed that he was an underclassman. Because he's had a little bit of buzz around him this season so far, you know, which I, I picked up on. When I had that conversation with him and I realized how old he was, I was I was genuinely shocked. So is he a real prospect? Is he a legitimate top first round kind of quarterback in this draft now? So that's a question I have to ask. Well, okay, so you you said like you didn't really realize who he was. I knew who Henry Hooker was because I am kind of like a I, I keep my eye on the Virginia Tech Hokies a lot. Uh, they were one of my favorite teams when I first started watching college football. So he was there for a while, and if you know anything about Virginia Tech, they prioritize mobility out of their quarterbacks when they're recruiting. They always want to have those guys who can threaten to run the ball. Uh, and you can see that in their past prospects, whether it's Tyrod Taylor or Gerard Evans or uh, Cam Newton played – or not Cam Newton, Cam Newton was Auburn. Uh, I trying to remember the other one who was there at Virginia Tech. But Logan the, Thomas. The, yeah, there you go. The, 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 point, the point I'm making is they usually prioritize their mobility, and you can see that with Hooker. Uh, for someone who hasn't known, didn't know this, like how you were saying, you didn't know he was an overclassman or upperclassman, and he was, you know, he's I think he's a redshirt senior at this point. He, if you're going to look at this game, like a lot of people who didn't know, we're going to look at this game as like his defining game as a prospect. Like he beat Alabama, and now they're like the number three ranked team in the, in the nation, right? So they're going to look at, okay, if my team drafts Hedden Hooker. My team is looking, I'm getting rumored about Hedden Hooker coming. Let's go watch that game against Alabama. How do he play? And so I haven't dug, dug d- deep into a lot of his games specifically. Like I watched a lot of Tennessee, but I wasn't specifically keeping an eye on Hooker. So, but I did that against the Alabama uh, for the Alabama game specifically because I knew a lot of people would be diving into his tape from that game when it comes to draft time. And yes, you can still see that those physical gifts a quarterback like Hooker will bring, where like he's got the size, he's got the mobility, he's got a decent NFL arm, uh, he's able to physically look the part. I'm just more worried because even in this Alabama game, it was working, but he was asked to do a lot of one field, half field reads, one read, go to the check down, one read and run kind of thing. Uh, there was a play, it was, uh, I wrote it down, 14 and 18 left in the third quarter. If you want to go back and watch it, they did a replay. He took his read on, he took the outside read and then came back across and made the check down to the running back. I think they got close to a first down, but I think it was Hyatt was totally blew away the safety and got behind the, or the corner got behind the safety. So he could have found him for another giant touchdown, but he missed it just because that he was following one read check down. That was, that was a lot of the game. I wrote like, I think like the majority of these uh, notes I put down were like another half field read one, one read and go half field read, half field read. Uh, so I'm just worried that I know we've seen it work out sometimes with like guys like uh, Justin Herbert, who were able to do these one read and go kind of guys, but he was a special talent and we knew that going into it. Uh, and we have a guy like Justin Fields who did a, who did a, a decent amount of half field reads at Ohio State that's kind of struggling now, and I think that he needs to either to, uh, show teams that I'm a smarter quarterback and I can do more than that kind of things in the offense, or uh, or he's going to be one of those guys that gets drafted over overly high and then struggles to adapt to the speed of the NFL game. So I'm a little skeptical at this point based on this one game. There's still more games to go, and if they're still in the playoff picture come January, then we'll get even more of these big games to look at. So I'm I'm not going to fully disclose that I'm out on a hooker, but right now I have my, uh, my skepticism. Yeah, I understand that. I think he has real mobility, like, like usable mobility at the next level which makes him worth developing. You can put him in an offense, design some run game around him, give him some easy reads to start out and make it more advanced as you go. He's not going to be a first-round prospect because of what 
he talked about. And if he is, it's going to be a team like desperately trading up into the back half of the first. But also the age thing matters. Like this is a real thing. And I see some Tennessee fans like this morning, yesterday, like, oh, he might be QB one. Like, no, no, <laughs> just because he's older doesn't mean he's more experienced. Like that doesn't. That's not how that works. The reason we we care about age is breakout age is a huge performance indicator for these players. Jamar Chase playing well against AJ Terrell at age 19 in college is a big deal. Like that matters. Now when this guy's on a second contract and he's already had like 5,000 receiving yards, he's going to be 23, 24 years old, which is still younger than Hendon Hooker. I know it's a different position, but just the point is about age. Bryce Young, I believe right now is 21. He might be 22 when he gets drafted. I think he's still 21 right now. So, you know, and that's like middling age for a lot of these top prospects we see still. And the reason you invest in those guys early is because with a Bryce Young, with a C.J. Stroud, even with a Will Levis who's a little bit older, they haven't hit their top end. They can get better. They can develop. Hen Hooker right now, at age 25, he is better than he was in college. He's developed a lot. He played three years at Virginia Tech. Um, I'm also kind of plugged into Virginia Tech a little bit. My dad went there. So, you know, I watch their games when they've been good. He was not great at Virginia Tech. In year one, Tennessee, he got better. But this is like kind of his development curve, like hitting its highest end. I'm not certain you can really bet on him in the NFL, like continuing to develop at this pace. And if he does get better, I don't know that he has the ability to increase his play as much as a 22-year-old Bryce Young, a 22-year-old C.J. Stroud, or a 23, 24-year-old Will Levis does. And Will Levis has only played two years in college, I believe, at this point, too. So it's like... It's different. You know, five years of playing is a long time. You would expect he'd be better at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, situation has a lot to do with it, and I think the final draft evaluation process is going to have a lot to do with what Owen talked about, what he can do in the meeting rooms, you know, how he can explain himself, and if he can, you know, basically present football acumen that he hasn't had the opportunity to show on the football field. And that's going to be an uphill battle for him. There's no question about it. But... It is impressive, nonetheless, that a player that has gone through his college career has uh, has put himself in a position where he might be drafted relatively high and give himself an actual opportunity to be considered like a potential franchise quarterback in the NFL. I mean, that alone is quite an accomplishment, I would say. All right, so we're going to save Quentin Johnston for next week just because we're running out of time here a little bit. But we're going to talk about the matchup between Jordan Addison and Clark Phillips, um, the wide receiver cornerback matchup. I know that both of you guys are eager to talk about this one. So I'll throw this one back to you first. Owen, what were your thoughts on this? Yeah, so Nick has written about Clark Phillips uh, twice, I think, now in our in our reviews and preview uh, articles. So I'm, I wasn't really plugged into him until just this game because I wanted to be able to get prepped up and ready for this episode because I'm kind of feeling Nick was going to bring him up. Uh, and... So this is my first viewing, and I am beyond impressed with what I saw from Clark Phillips. Uh, he definitely the, – the biggest thing about Jordan Addison's game was, like, he was able to play – be one of the better deep threats in this class, and he was able to play and make cuts in his routes at full speed where you don't have to really slow down as much to make your cuts and let the cornerback get this time to read and react and break down on you. Despite that, Phillips was still able to make some plays where he was able to keep stride with him downfield for one. And I think it was like the first pass Addison had thrown against him when Phillips was in coverage. He was able to do that thing where he was able to drive on the uh, route point and break up the pass, even though he gave him plenty of room and he had to honor and respect that deep ball shot. So Phillips physically was able to match up against one of the better deep threats in this class. Uh, there were a couple times he got the better of Phillips, where whether it was the there was a holding penalty 
or I guess they call it, I don't know if they call it pass interference or holding, but it was on the goal line with, it was more of a short area, uh, arrow route, which I think is more where Phil, um, Phillips was going to struggle against Addison, which I, I kind of expected that. And then there was another time it was like a deep dig route where they had to pass it off from the, uh, Phillips was the outside man and they had to come back inside on a zone read to, uh, cover him. So he got a decent amount of cushion there, but he was able to come out and make the tackle. He made a couple impressive tackles on Addison, who's typically kind of slippery in the open field, uh, even if they weren't picture-perfect form tackles, he still made the tackle and limited the gain. So I was very impressed with how he was able to match up against one of the receivers we've been talking about as the top of this class. And as we said, when Addison was matched up against him, he did have some a decent game. Uh, they got him the ball short and uh, long. Like I said, he got some bigger passes down the field. And I, I think it was just they, – they, Utah was able to win that game because Phillips made the uh, impact plays against their top weapon when he needed to. Yeah, we saw a little bit of everything from this matchup, which is kind of what you want to see from two NFL players, will be NFL players, going head-to-head. What's fun is both of these guys, I think, coming into last year were limited. Phillips' own corner, Addison was kind of just a deep threat that used on some gadget plays. And now they're in a spot where Utah's defense becomes a more man-heavy scheme, and USC, different offense, they're doing all sorts of stuff with Addison, that we've expanded their roles, and we're seeing them kind of fully get used and because of that we saw a lot of everything we saw Addison win on a deep route we saw him win settling under the zone we saw him catch some short passes and get some yards we also saw Phillips make some nice plays in zone we saw him kind of match up with him man to man and keep up with like you said the quickly oriented routes that Addison can run due to his ability to change direction I think Addison getting the better got the better of him on a couple of plays that did matter in this game Overall, Utah's defense, I think, has struggled the past two weeks, so I wouldn't put this all on Phillips. You know, at some point, you're going to scheme Addison open. Uh, but Utah was ultimately able to win because USC didn't make the plays late when it mattered, and Phillips put a cap on Addison. They didn't really hit the deep shot that really blew this game out. Um, got the you know long 60-yard touchdown pass. It was a, like the longest two passes, I believe, were 20 yards. One of them was a an in-cutting route underneath Phillips was over the top was able to make the tackle not a great play for him in coverage but it was I think it was his own so you know you can't put it all on him at all times there because they were such easy space for Williams to make that throw and then the other one uh, I think we saw Addison kind of beat him but it wasn't bad coverage it was a great throw from Caleb Williams and again Phillips was there at least to prevent a touchdown and just slowing down the USC offense and making it so that this offense that has really been able to just kind of get chunk play after chunk play and score quickly had to kind of operate two-minute, hurry up, do a bunch, you know, 11-play drives. And Caleb Williams has struggled a little bit this year when that's happened. And because of that, I think it, it ultimately made a difference in this game to a Utah offense that's more used to doing it, was able to make the late plays to win. Yeah, I uh, I definitely saw parts in, in this game when it wasn't Phillips versus Addison, I think, it was you, you weren't really looking at those plays as much because I knew we were talking about the matchup specifically. But Phillips, like you said, he struggles a bit in zone. And like I said, that uh, the, the play you were talking about with the uh, the deep in route was uh, yeah, that was when he was in zone and it was kind of like an outside pass off thing and he wasn't able to really read it and react to it in time, which is where you get that big kind of play from. Uh, there were also some times when. Uh, Addison was faced up against, I don't know who the other corner is on Utah, but he definitely put some more physical presence on Addison. And I've seen, you know, he got pressed out of bounds a couple times. He wasn't really able to get off some jams, which has been my kind of issue with him. But like you said, in like in games against uh, Stanford, Stanford has Caillou Blue Kelly, who is another one of the 
uh, NFL potential prospects for this draft class in a corner uh, who got some of the better of Addison like Phillips was, but he was able to break over the top of Kelly and get some big plays and really uh, that's what broke that game open for USC. Whereas the Utah, despite not having the greatest defense, I mean, they, they won in a shootout, they were able to limit the specific big plays to really let it go, you know, get out of control. And then in those clutch moments, they were able to hold up and really not allow USC to get in a field goal range in the last drive or to uh, or overall just run away with the game once after they made their comeback from the first half. I'm a little surprised you mentioned it that they didn't have Phillips follow him the whole game because Utah has really used him everywhere zone man slot outside even just play a little bit of safety like he is not one guy in their defensive in their secondary um but they didn't really have him falling at us and he had a good number of snaps against him i believe he did give up three catches i would have to check that as and i think i had like seven on the day um but anytime you put phillips up against anyone else obviously he's locked down that, that as was the one guy that gave him trouble in that game and uh Again, that's what you want to see with two NFL guys is you want to see them both kind of flashing their abilities back and forth and looking better than everyone else on the field, which they did. All right, guys. I think that's going to do it for us this week. Another good episode talking about some rookies and prospects. So we'll be back next week, same format. We will start promptly at 1245 Eastern time. Uh, PM, of course, and we will roll into our 2023 prospects about halfway through that again. So uh, we'll be back tomorrow with our game picks. So I'll be doing that with Kyle Nishida and Bryson Owens at 9.30 a.m. Eastern, and we're going to pick every single NFL game from Sunday specifically against the spread. So uh, thank you all so much for listening to the show today. I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And Nick is at Nick with Sports. Owen is at uh, Weekly Huddle on Twitter as well. So follow those guys. And we will be back next week. Thank you all so much for listening to our Rookie Rundown and 2023 Prospects episode for this week. Remember, I'm Max Dean. You can find me on Twitter at TheMaxDean. And the Gridiron Heroics football show is available anywhere podcasts can be found. Now, we will be back tomorrow. If you're on YouTube, we'll be doing a live stream with Kyle and Bryson for the Week 7 Picks Against the Spread. That's at 9.30 a.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to listen to it via podcast, that will be combined with our new segment with Julius and our Thursday Night Football recap. So appreciate you. If you would like to like, follow, subscribe, rate, review, anything that you want, wherever it is that you follow our show, we greatly appreciate it. And we will see you all very soon.